0: John fifteen, one to eight, Jesus said, I am the true vine, and my father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit he takes away, and every branch that bears fruit he prunes, that it may bear more fruit. You are already clean because of the word which I have spoken to you. Abide in me, and I in you, as the branch cannot bear fruit of itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you By this, my Father is glorified, that you bear much fruit, and so you will be my disciples.
1: Father, we thank you so much for the hope that you give us and for the promises of your word. We thank you that by your word you challenge us and you strengthen us. Lord, we pray that you would teach us today, that you would move among us. Lord, we continue to pray for our brother Greg Mulder, who's in the hospital still. Lord, would you touch him? Would you heal him? Even as he's shared, Lord, praying for a miracle, that his lungs would begin to operate properly. Um, Lord, we, just, we look to you as the healer. Touch him. Lord, just continue to pour out your spirit upon us in this service Pour out your blessings on us, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, today as we continue our study through the Gospel of John, uh, we took a couple weeks off from the Gospel of John. We had uh, Pastor Mark last week shared with you guys, and then my dad the week before that. Um, my wife and I went to from our conference here to another conference in Colorado. Uh, with Pastor Ed Taylor, who we've had here at our church before, and uh, just a blessing to be, uh, to be there and to experience that, and then we experienced the Colorado Rockies and uh, some beautiful sights along the way, uh, and truly, truly opportunity just that we had in seeing the, the glory of God and drawing near to Him in that. As you see some of the sights that we got to see, uh, it, was, it was mind-blowing, For sure. So, anyway, here we are picking up um, in chapter 15, but we'll review a bit uh, of chapter 14. Hey, I want to just remind you, junior high kids, I see a couple like popping up and going. Junior high kids, if you haven't left, uh, the junior high class is starting now or has started already, so you can make your way back uh, to the tent. So, anyway. John chapter 14, by way of review, we focused on the gift of the Holy Spirit uh, through the latter half of that chapter, and and then the gift of peace that Jesus leaves, right? We talked about an inheritance and, and how Jesus didn't have money to leave the disciples. He didn't live his life that way, but he said, what I have, I give to you right? And, and he has this gift. My peace, I leave with you, it's not the peace like you would experience in the world, and it's not an inheritance like you would experience in the world, but here's what I have. It's my peace, and this peace is going to t- truly change your world, change your life, and not so much about this World peace that everybody's looking for, but this peace that surpasses all understanding. So we have the Holy Spirit, we we have that promise, the helper, we have Jesus who dwells in us, and then we have the peace that he leaves with us, and and bringing that focus back again to his departure, and that's where we want to pick up, is remembering that his departure is coming soon Here in these these chapters in John. So in John fifteen, beginning with this, uh, we don't we. As it starts, he goes right from "arise, let us go" from here, the end of John fourteen, and then going into another bit of the conversation. And and as we talked about last time, we don't know exactly. What, where they were, did they stay in the upper room? Did he say, arise, let us be going? And then they were in kind of the e- exit way of the upper room there and still just continuing their conversation and, and carrying on and, and, and how difficult it might be to get these, tw- these 11 men out of the upper room and, and how Jesus is trying to you know, maybe get them going, but also still ministering and, and they're wanting to hold on to this holy moment. And that's what, regardless of where they were, where they, did they leave and now they're walking together and, and talking as they're walking? We don't know exactly, but what we know is they wanted to, to remain in this holy moment. And, they, and Jesus had these very important truths to impart to them before his departure. And so in verse 1, as it continues in these words that Jesus wants to explain to them, He says first, I am the true vine. First of all, it's the I am. It's another I am statement that Jesus gives, a proclamation to be God. And he says that I am the true vine. Now, we think of true and we might think of like real Jesus is the real vine, and the other vines are counterfeits. And and sure, that works, but the translation really is to say Jesus is the essential vine, the life-giving vine. The true vine is different from the rest, and it is the essential vine, the centerpiece, the main vine. It is central to the life of all the other branches. Vines and vineyards were seen everywhere in the region. They were pictured in many places. They were used as decorations on the sides of buildings, on the grounds, on walkways, and all these different, the vines were everywhere, right? Vineyards were a very popular thing in the day. There was even uh, used, like etched in decorations, right? And, And there was even this golden vine on the doorway of Herod's temple. And this, as Jesus is speaking, this was during a season when the dead vines would be taken away and burned up along the whole Kidron Valley, which is there right outside of Jerusalem. And that's what Jesus often does, isn't it? He takes a a modern day real experience, something that people are seeing, something that is relevant to them in vines. And vineyards, and he gives them some spiritual lesson, spiritual truth, that pertains to that very thing, that they would understand. We've seen him talk to farmers, uh, talk about farming, We've seen him talk about shepherding and, and connecting dots between relevant issues and relevant circumstances, relevant uh, life that people would be living. It's important, now listen, Jesus teaches what is relevant, and it's important to be relevant, but hear me out, not at the cost of the gospel, not at the cost of the word of God or the truth of God, at the cost of true doctrine, because we can look around in the world and we can see, man, churches, they're becoming more and more relevant and less and less relevant spiritually relevant. But Jesus was culturally relevant. And he spoke to the people in relevance of who they were. That doesn't mean he he, he put aside doctrine. It doesn't mean he put aside truth. And So there's a fine line. But it is important that we know what's going on. That's the bottom line. We don't need to be or should be distracted by the things of the world and being so relevant that we become irrelevant, right? But we do need to pay attention, right? Ephesians and Colossians both tell us to, uh, Ephesians tells us to walk circumspectly, understanding the times, redeeming the times because the days are evil. We need to know what's going on around us and not just have the spiritual blinders on and say, no, no, nothing is going on, right? So we need to understand the times so that we can properly walk forward, but we can't be distracted by and lose sight of the main thing, the main vine, Jesus. That's the connecting point in all things. Jesus takes regular opportunities for spiritual moments. Years ago, I had a youth leader. Uh, His name was Nate and he would, we would go like random places, you know, he was one of the leaders, hey, let's go to Six Flags, hey, let's go to, you know, the boardwalk, hey, let, you know, we'd just do random things, and we'd be sitting in the car, and he would like pick up something in the car, an object, and hold it up, be like, teach the gospel, here's the object, Teach the gospel. Give us a spiritual lesson with an object. It's like a dirty sock or something or, you know, a, a football or a, a soccer ball. And, 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 and it was just this, I mean, I was 15 years old, you know. like, But here's what it taught me, that we can learn spiritual truths and we can think spiritually and we can have fun doing it even over silly things like a sock, a, a soccer ball. You know, and, and, and the reality is that we bring this focus into understanding everything is spiritual. And that doesn't mean you should walk around your whole entire life and like, oh, you're driving down the road. And you're like, oh, keys, here's my keys. Oh, Jesus gave the, the disciples the keys to the kingdom. Oh, okay, you know, like, I mean, we don't have to always connect all those dots, but we understand this. We can have a lot of fun thinking on spiritual things, thinking on the things that are above And taking object lessons like Jesus did. And this is just a silly like side note here. This is not completely, uh, you know, part of the text here, but it's just something that we get to understand who Jesus was, understand his heart, where he took all the regular everyday things and he said, let me teach you something about what you already know, but let me teach you a heavenly perspective. Let me take this farming. Let me take this—you know—the idea of vines in a vineyard, and take the idea of being a shepherd. And these were common, regular things. And so today, you might say, you know, let me take here—take the idea of working in a—in a—you uh, a, know major business, or working in a grocery store, or let me give you an example of being a, a, a mom or a dad or a husband or a wife or a child and just connecting all the dots. These are regular things that we have somewhat figured out how to survive in, but he says, no, I've got something spiritual for you in it. You can learn and grow in your faith in everything. And even amazed by this experience that we had at Rocky Mountain National Park last week. And my wife and I, as we're driving and we're, we're stopping, pulling off and getting out and looking at another beautiful sight. And then we keep going a little further. We stop, we pull out, we see another beautiful sight. And just being amazed by God's handiwork. And, and that later that day, as we came down off the mountain, literally down from the mountain, you know, and, and we're, talking, we're, saying, we're talking to each other about how we realize everything that God did, everything he created, was for a purpose. Why is there different types of grass in different areas? Because that's what's needed in that area. Why, well, I, I, I thought to myself, why are these mountains in the middle of nowhere, in the middle of the United States of America? Because honestly, everything else around is like desert flat. But then you've got the mountains. And you know what those mountains do? They feed the valley. They feed the desert around. And there's all the snow on top and it runs off. It melts and there's waterfalls and that runs down. And it feeds the valley. It feeds the area around. And God knew, hey, there's no ocean here. Let's put some rivers, let's put a mountain, let's have an opportunity to, to give water to this area. And so this is what God does. Everything he does is for a purpose. And Jesus teaches spiritual lessons in every opportunity that he can. So we go on, right? It's, I am the true vine. My father is the vine dresser, the vine. And God often used the vine as a symbol of his people in hebrew scriptures jesus here is is in contrast to the nation of israel as the true vine reminding us once again that jesus the i am is the fulfillment of everything and he says that the Father then is the vine dresser. If Jesus is the vine, the Father is the vine dresser. And we've seen this concept throughout the Gospel of John, starting with John chapter 5, as we began to see what is the work of the Father that the Son has been sent to do. But here, listen the vine dresser, the Father, who is the vine dresser, that, that word vine dresser translates to the owner and laborer of the vineyard. Isn't that who the father is? Jesus saying, I am the vine. The father is the vine dresser. The father is the owner and the laborer. He owns it and cares for it. And he he owns it and he does the work. Remember the work, the work of salvation. That was the father's work and the son in agreement fulfilled that work. That's what the vine dresser does. He doesn't just sit back and point and tell people to do things. He gets his hands dirty. He shows up. He's the owner of it, and he cares so desperately for the vineyard. Verse 2, every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that bears fruit, he prunes. Then it may bear more fruit. We see a contrast of branches There's only two types of branches, okay, on a tree, on a vine, on a plant. There's only two types of branches, ones that bear fruit and ones that don't bear fruit. If we are connected to the vine, right, you have Jesus, the vine, the father, the vine dresser. Those who are connected to the vine, there's only two things that are going to happen in that connection. Some are going to bear fruit, some are not going to bear fruit. And the one that does not bear fruit is a fruitless branch, a lifeless branch that leads to no fruit. Sometimes you don't understand when you're trying to water plants and you're trying to grow things and and you're just like, what is happening here? What's going on? It's not working. You put the effort in and it's still connected. It's still part of it. And like, why, this side is getting it. This side's not. Most of the time it's because of light and not just water. Sometimes you have to turn Turn things to get light to shine in certain ways. And listen, that's what happens here. In Christ, first of all, indicates there's a relationship. But this relationship is without fruit. James says it well that faith without works is dead. That doesn't mean there's no faith. It's just saying that "Mm, there's dead faith. And that faith is lacking fruit. That relationship, although you are in Christ, maybe you're not seeing fruit in your life. So you got some work that has to take place. But good news, the vine dresser does the work. Because here's what the vine dresser does. He takes away. The translation of takes away is actually lifts up. And vines grow on the ground. A vineyard, right? It grows on the ground. And what would happen here is the, the vine dresser would come and if he would see the ones that are not bearing fruit. And what does he do? He gives a little extra effort. He lifts up and gets the access to the light a little more clearly so that those vines can produce fruit. This is a common practice for the vine dressers to lift, lift up off the ground the unproductive vines in order to help them grow with more light and to give that better opportunity to grow. That's what the Father does. He Listen, if we are lacking fruit and we think, I want to bear more fruit, does God just say fruit? No, he's going to give opportunity to bear fruit through caring for, through that lifting up through shedding some more light. He will lift us, give us the extra attention, and at the same time, challenge us through the opportunity to grow and produce fruit. But then the other branch, right? And every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes. Man, it's not easy, is it? Right? If you're not producing fruit, then there's going to be this little care and caution and attention given and and lifted up, but there's still hard work involved. Then if you're bearing fruit, what's going to happen? There's going to be pruning, cutting, cut back a little bit here, cut back a little bit here. Why? So we can make way for more good fruit. And the word prunes here is actually translated to cleansing or purifying, if, if if it's bearing fruit, you gotta take the fruit off and make way for more fruit. If there's weeds, you gotta clean the weeds out and, and let the fruit grow, right? There's there's pruning, there's a process that needs to happen. Cleaning up the productive vine to produce more good fruit. Either way, it's hard work. Dead branches need much care to begin to produce something. Live branches need still to be pruned and worked on, but it's the vine dresser who does the work. The father is the vine dresser. That doesn't mean we sit back and we don't put any effort in because what does he do? He, as he lifts up, he gives opportunity for growth. Verse 3. You are already clean. Pointing back to that cleansing that's taking place through pruning, right? You are already clean because of the word which I have spoken to you. This, the initial cleansing has taken place because they follow Jesus and because of the word of God. The cleansing happens through the word of God. And the words that Jesus spoke specifically... He's talking to the disciples, he, look, you are already clean because of the words that I have spoken to you. And there's many words that Jesus has spoken to them specifically here in the upper room that he is directing this right to the disciples. You are already clean because you've been with me, because you've experienced my work, because you've heard my words, but now hear these words. Let's just even think back for starters of John chapter 14, the gift of the Holy Spirit. John chapter 13 By this, all will know you are my disciples if you have love for one another. You are already clean because of these words, cleansing words, love through the Holy Spirit. Because we are in Christ, because of the gift of his peace, that's what cleanses us. As I said before, the initial cleansing has taken place. But continual cleansing is a necessity for continual growth. Recognizing this, we have not arrived. We have not arrived. We have not, we're not finished. He's not finished. The vine dresser has work to do and we need to be prepared for it. Paul says it well. He says, not that I have already attained or have perfected, but I press on. That's Paul, right? I mean, we would look at Paul and be like, man, he seemed like he might have attained, right? He had some serious faith. He got to to very high places in a sense, right? But he says, not that I have already attained or have been perfected, but I continue to press on. Every single one of us has to realize that there's work the vine dresser needs to keep doing, and we need to make ourselves available for the work. Paul also says this in 2 Corinthians 3, that we are being transformed from glory to glory. It is a process, an ongoing process from glory to glory, from beginning to end, from creation onward to the very end till we see him face to face. We are being transformed. Not we have been transformed. When you accept Jesus, when you have the filling of the Holy Spirit, you're like, yes, I have been transformed. That's not what it says. You are being transformed by the Holy Spirit, by the word of God. From glory to glory, beginning to end. It is a process. The vine dresser has to keep working. Verse 4, Jesus says, abide in me and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit of itself unless it abides in the vine neither can you unless you abide in me. Now he's giving a further explanation of what this looks like, right? He's okay, I am the vine, the Father is the vine dresser. You need to abide in me. We're talking about vines here, so you need to a- abide in me. These are more words of cleansing that he's speaking of, and to abide is to remain Remain in that fellowship. Remain in that connection. This is talking of a spiritual communion and connection with Christ. It's essential that we permanently and consistently are connected personally to the essential life-giving vine, Jesus Christ. A spiritual choice needs to take place and that's what he's telling his disciples guys you've got a choice to make and then what he's saying in this is guys you got to make the choice because i'm leaving soon this is no this isn't a physical thing anymore this is no you are you have been abiding right they have been abiding with jesus quite literally now for these three and a half years They've been spending every day with him, walking with him, talking with him, hearing from him, learning from him, watching, seeing, all the things that are happening, they are abiding with Jesus. But he says, abide in me. Good job physically, now spiritually, because his departure is coming. This choice is needed. They had a choice to make, and Jesus presents that choice. And what he's saying to them is, do it. Make the choice to be spiritually connected to the vine, Jesus Christ. Everyday choices we make indicate what we are connected to through our effort. If there was an investigation into each one of our lives, it would be very clear what we're connected to. Is it the vine of Jesus, the true vine, the essential life-giving vine, or is it family? Is it jobs? Is it planning for the future, college, beyond, right? If you're a young person, it's college, if you're a parent preparing your kid for college, if it's Beyond that, if it's preparing for children, and if it's preparing for retirement, if it's preparing for whatever, fill in all the blanks. What are we connected to? What are we holding on to? And what would the investigation into our lives prove? Sobering words. For me, it's sobering to think, wow. What am I connected to? I would 100% try to say, yeah, I abide in the vine. I remain in the vine in fellowship and connection with Jesus. But then what? What does my effort go toward? All these are good things that we're talking about, right? Family. I'm not telling you, hey, family, forget about it. But are we abiding in the good things that God has given us? And then creating idols out of those things like Adam did with Eve when God gave him a wife. And the Bible tells us a wife is a good thing. God gave him a good thing, but what happened with the good thing? He put his wife on a pedestal. It was a good thing, but he put her first. And when she said, here, eat, he said, yeah, no problem. What do our everyday choices demonstrate in what we're connected to? Then he continues to explain here, as Jesus says, as a branch, abide in me as a branch. Now, alone, a branch bears no fruit. I don't know if you've ever cut a branch off of a tree or, you know, pruned something off of a plant or anything like that. I had this tree in front of my house had like branches growing out from like everywhere. It looked like hair coming out of the tree, right? And these were really lively little branches, very green, you know, but I'm like, it looks hideous. It literally looks like there's fur hanging off the side of the tree. So I start cutting and cutting and go as high as I could go to make it look like a tree, you know? But as I have this pile of stuff that was very green and lively, what happens once I cut it off? It's dead. There is no life that is given to it any longer, and it no longer produces fruit. It produces nothing. What happens over time? It turns brown and take it to the dump and get rid of it, right? Or burn it, whatever you might do with your branches. But that's what happens. It doesn't produce anything on its own. Here's a, here's a branch. It has no life in itself. It needs the vine. We need the vine. As disciples, as this, the same way that the, the disciples needed the vine, we need the vine. Because the vine, Jesus Christ, is the source of life. John chapter 1, verse 4. We started back last year with it. It says, in him, Jesus was life, and the life was the light of men. Jesus is the source of life, and this is another explanation of that. We need to be connected to the vine, the source of life, Jesus Christ. Verse five. Jesus says, now more clearly, he says, I am the vine, you are the branches, he abides in me, and I in him, bears much fruit, for without me, you can do nothing. I am the vine, you are the branches. Jesus making a clarifying statement of verse four. The previous statement, he's giving this little example. He's saying, abide in me as a branch that is lifeless on its own. It bears no fruit on its own. Abide in me. Have this connection. Remain in me even once I'm gone. But now he clarifies even more clearly, I am the vine You are the branches. Clarifying that the emphasis is the relationship and personal connection with Jesus Christ. And also demonstrating or clarifying that the vine is not the nation of Israel. Jesus, now you can imagine as he talks about the vine and through the Old Testament, the vine would be given as a picture of Israel, of the people, of the nation of Israel. And Jesus here is saying, I am the vine. When I talk about the vine and being connected to the vine, let me clarify, I am not talking about your patriotism. I'm not talking about your allegiance to Israel, or your connection to Israel. Israel is great, but it's not Jesus. We need to be careful to understand that patriotism is not the answer. Now, look, there's nothing wrong with patriotism. But are we putting it on a pedestal? American does not mean Christian. Sadly, guys, I was just having a conversation the other day about this. America, in many ways, has become a post-Christian nation, and we won't admit it. Maybe we don't see it, but we certainly will not admit it. And it's happening. It's all unraveling right before our eyes. But there's still this idea that American means Christian. It definitely doesn't. There's only one thing that makes us a Christian, abiding in the vine, having fellowship, intimate fellowship with Jesus Christ himself. What Jesus just said in John chapter 14 said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Why are we trying to point people down so many different ways? thinking that we could bring unity in our country and that's going to save the country there's one thing that's going to save the country it's Jesus nothing else but we need to be careful that we're not putting our patriotism on the pedestal that we're not putting our our uh, our Americanism above our relationship with Jesus Christ. There is one thing, and we need not be distracted. Unity in the church does not come from unity in America. Let's flip it around. Unity in the church will bring unity among people. But what's happening in the church? We put up walls. Some of you were with us at the conference we did We still have the signs up here, connect to unify, exemplify, and glorify. That heart of bringing unity to the body of Christ, look, it's not something that we can accomplish, but we have to fix our eyes on Jesus. We have to come into that that abiding in the vine. And we need to not get so concerned about just talking about so many other things and making other things the main thing when Jesus is the main thing the true vine. And that's who we need to connect with. He says, abide, if we abide in him. Doing what he said earlier, right? And good things will come from it. Good fruit will come from it. Make the choice to be connected and bear much fruit, he says. You abide in me, you will bear much fruit. Not just a little bit of fruit. Much fruit. There's a lot that can happen through our fellowship with Jesus. Our connection with Jesus. But what does that tell us? There's a lot of bad things that can come from our lack of fellowship with Jesus. When we're not connected to the vine. When we're not drawing near to him. We're off on our own somewhere trying to just survive. But it says also that he abides in us. So he asks, he says, Abide in me, and I in you. This is talking about a two way relationship. He wants to have this fellowship with us. So if we abide in Christ, we bear much fruit, and we bear good fruit. Abiding in Christ is not going to produce bad fruit. That's the good news. If we're abiding in Christ, we don't have to worry about bad fruit. What is is the fruit? Well, we know well, Galatians chapter 5, the fruit of the Spirit, right? Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Paul writes these things, against such there is no law. We are free in that fruit. And there's nothing bad in that fruit. It's good fruit and from the Holy Spirit who is sent as a helper to abide with us forever. That's what He produces in us. And then Jesus says it very clearly without Me, you can do nothing. That fruit, the good fruit, without Me, you're not getting it. Without Jesus Christ, we're not going to produce good fruit. Without Jesus Christ, the fruit of the Spirit is out of the question. And we might try to claim that we love and we have joy, we have peace, patience. Those things are not in the vocabulary of those who are not abiding in Christ. It's all relationship. And there is much of the world that would claim they know what love is, and this is what love looks like. And they have joy, and they, have, they don't have joy. They're lacking complete peace. They have no patience, that is absolutely certain. We can look around, you just put, go on your social media for 30 seconds and you will find a lack of the fruit of the spirit in every single way, if you look at the world. But, in Christ, and you know what I'm talking about because you're like, yeah, I do, I have joy. I don't know why I have joy. Everything's miserable, but I have joy. I have peace, and I don't know how, but I have peace because it surpasses all understanding, as Paul writes, right? And we're able to have love for one another that's like, I, don't, I, don't, I wouldn't generally like that person. I mean, why is there hundreds of people in one room together all hanging out, and we're like, we love each other. We're giving each other hugs, and we come together on Sunday. Why? That's kind of weird by worldly standards. But we have love. In the body of Christ, we have unity in the common thread, which is Jesus Christ. A few weeks back, I went to the giant game. And at the giant game, you're standing, when something good happens, everybody's high fiving each other. Yeah, I don't know this guy. Certainly nobody's concerned about COVID and 70,000 people in the arena, right? They're high-fiving, yeah. They're, They're spilling beer on each other. I'm like, oh my goodness, look at this. This is unbelievable. What's happening? There's great unity among these people because the Giants scored a touchdown. It's ridiculous the things we try to claim unity over, isn't it? But we should, in the same manner, have great joy, unity, celebration with one another because of what? Jesus Christ died on the cross and rose again. Amen? We should be high-fiving and hugging each other over that every single day. It's the greatest news in the history of the world. But He says, "It look, without me, that fruit is impossible. It's impossible to produce good fruit without Jesus, just as it's impossible to please the Lord without faith. We are nothing and can do nothing apart from Christ, nothing good. I mean, sure, yeah, we could put our shoes on in the morning or something, you know, but we're not producing good fruit without Jesus. But the the thing is, now he says, without me, you can do nothing. That means with him, we can do everything. That's not a name it, claim it idea here, right? And we'll get into that in a moment, right? Uh, Within ourselves, we have total spiritual unfruitfulness. Verse six, if anyone does not abide in me, he is cast out as a branch and is withered. And they gather them and throw them into the fire, and they are burned, not abiding in Christ. Now, I talked about that with my tree in my front yard. You get cut off, and what happens is cast out. This is different than the lifting up that we talked about where he takes away, he gives attention to, right? The vine dresser gives the extra attention to. This is different. Now, those who don't abide in Christ, those who don't have relationship with Christ or reject that connection to the vine, reject that abiding in the vine, there's judgment. Cut off, left to wither. And then thrown into the fire. There's a mention of hell here. In John chapter 15, this is the judgment for those who reject abiding in the vine. It always comes back to the personal relationship with Jesus, of that connection to the vine. But if we reject that, anybody who rejects that relationship with Jesus Christ is cast out. There is judgment. But there's good news. You don't have to worry about judgment. Why? Because Jesus says, abide in me. That's the good news. Walk in that relationship with Jesus. And there is not judgment for that. The contrast here, though, there's that judgment, but then he says abide, right? He says, if you do this, if you abide in me and in my words, and my word abide in you, you will ask what you desire and it shall be done for you. The contrast between, hey, there's judgment. If you do not abide in me, there is judgment. If you reject the relationship, there is judgment. But if you abide, which he already told them about, what does it look like to abide as a branch is abiding in the vine, the main, the true, the essential, life giving vine? If you do that, there's hope. Abide in him and in his word. His word abides in us, referring back again to his word. So important the word of God. And the words that Jesus spoke to them of love, peace, life, the the Holy Spirit, the helper. And through that hope, we ask, and it'll be done. Now that's, again, that's not something we, we just claim it. Ask it in his name. We talked about that in John chapter 14, verse 13 and 14, right? A couple of weeks ago, he we said, And whatever you ask in my name, that I, will do, uh, that I will do, that my Father may be glorified in the Son. If you ask anything in my name, I will do it. But what are we talking about here? We're talking about in accordance to his word. What we ask in accordance to his word by his name will be done. That's not like just you know, magic genie in a bottle idea that we could get whatever we want by asking. But what we ask will be in accordance to his will and to his word when we abide in the vine. So we can, we can look at the fruit and we can ask for more fruit and God will bless the fruit. And what he's saying is that you will ask If you're abiding in the vine, you're going to have a life of prayer. You're going to have a life of communication with the Lord. And that prayer communication is going to produce more fruit. Prayer communication with Jesus will be automatic when we abide. And what we ask will align with his word when we abide. And when we think that, oh, I'll just ask and it will be given, but it's, we're not abiding, and it's like it's off the wall. Some of our requests may be totally off the wall. And yeah, God, God loves you. He cares for you. But he's not going to just give you what you want. He's going to change you. He's going to shape you. And he's going to give you opportunity to ask according to his word and according to his will. And it will be done as his will be done. In verse 8, he closes with this, or we close with this. By this my father is glorified. By this, all of this, all the things that we have that he just said, by this, and so he sums up this statement. By this my father is glorified that you bear much fruit so you will be my disciples. This is the purpose for fruit-bearing the glory of God. And when the Father is glorified, his disciples will bear much fruit. And through this long-term fruit-bearing, abiding and glorifying, we will prove ourselves to be disciples. Remember, Jesus is departing. He says, it's up to you guys to make the spiritual commitment and decisions every day to abide in the vine. Abide in me, and I am with you. He already told them, look, my Holy Spirit, my helper is coming. It's a promise he will abide with you forever, so you're not left alone. You have the ability to to abide in me, and I in you. And as this is happening, you're going to bear fruit and that fruit will actually produce more fruit and that fruit will produce more fruit and that fruit will produce more and it keeps going that's how we know we're disciples that's how all will know we're disciples it's the evidence the fruit is the evidence so ask yourself what are you connected to what are you abiding in? What's the fruit of your life? Are you lacking fruit and you just need the vine dresser to lift you up and expose you to more light? And how do you do that? How do you get exposed to more light? Well, maybe if, you're, if you need to be exposed to more light, then you need to be exposed to less darkness, asking him to lift you up? Or do you not yet have a relationship with Jesus Christ in which there is no opportunity to bear fruit? Come to Jesus. Enter into that relationship. Through fruit-bearing, abiding, which brings him Glory. Let's pray. Jesus, we look to you and we glorify you today. We thank you today. And right now, Lord, we we recognize Jesus, we recognize you to be the true vine, the one who gives life. And Father, I pray for anybody in this place that right now is in that position of of not bearing fruit, Lord, would you lift them? Would you, would you give that extra attention, Lord, or would they come to that place of realizing that I need to be exposed to the light to produce good fruit?